Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. So I remember we were doing a baptism. I believe it was for um, some of our youth and, and adults. We were, at, we were at doing a beach baptism, which I love so much, but our, my staff has fought me on that <laughs> recently, trying to get 300 people out to the beach. Uh, but it was beautiful. It was off of Newland. We were on the sand. The bonfire pits were there. And I was mingling with about 100 people at our church, and I saw Liam uh, maybe 30 feet out playing with the bigger kids. And then I continued talking to people. I looked out again, and all the kids were gone, and it was just sand. But when I looked around, they were gone together. So I was like, it should be okay. They're probably by the water. Probably an adult went over there. So I continued talking to people, and then I asked everyone to go to water for baptism, maybe like 15 minutes later. I walked to the water, and Jonathan was standing there. Was it you, Jonathan? Pretend it was you. So I I said, hey, Jonathan, did you see Liam? And he's like, oh, Liam didn't come with these kids to the water. And I was like, you know, maybe he was with the big group of 100, um, and they're walking toward the beach. So I started walking toward them, and I was was walking through them looking for Liam. Uh, He was about four years old at the time. I felt like Mary and Joseph looking for Jesus, but Jesus is like 12, so it's a little different. They were more responsible. That's the difference. Um, Eight years more responsible. So anyways, I'm walking through the crowd looking for Liam, and I get to the end of the crowd, and I couldn't find him. And I'm looking at the, the bonfire pits. No one's there. And the only person in front of me is my wife, Nina, who just got to the beach. And I said... I don't know where Liam is. And she said, I just got here. And then there's a few other people who started noticing the flames in Nina's eyes. (laughs) So I broke my gaze away from her eyes. And I said, hey, we need some help. We don't know where Liam is. And we just, and the guys just kind of scattered looking for him. And one of them said, go ask the lifeguard tower. And again, I'm running from Nina toward the lifeguard tower because we, we don't want two deaths in the family. And during this time, um, of course, every terrible scenario is playing through my, my mind. Kidnapped, drowned, shark, quicksand, like just all the things, right? And then I walk up to the lifeguard and I look up at him and I said, I've lost my son. <laughs> It feels so different to say I lost my phone or wallet, you know? It was just like so much shame. And then um, he says, give me a sec. He's like, what's his name? I said, his name's Liam. And he calls uh, the other lifeguards. And so thankful. I mean, you guys know this ending because he turned seven and you saw him last week. But (laughs) so thankful. (laughs) 
so thankful, surprised that he was at the other lifeguard tower. He wandered around, found another lovely couple who, instead of taking him home, took him to the lifeguard tower, and I'm so grateful. I ran over, then I got tired and sped walk, and then he came out with this, like, blanket, like a refugee with that reflection thing. I was like, take that off. I have to present you to mom. Um, See, you know, I'm a hero. I'm a hero and a villain together. And so when I think about anxiously waiting, I think about those moments of, oh, sorry, that one moment of losing my son and trying to find him. But there's a lot of anxious waiting in our society. Uh, more seriously, we think about waiting for the war in, in Russia and Ukraine to end. We think about waiting for the hostages to be returned. And if you've been in the news, you've heard these heart-wrenching interviews day after day of parents who have lost their children or, or husbands who have lost their wives to the kidnapping. I think about a scene where one of the buildings in Gaza was bombed and a, kid was, a baby was being pulled out and just feeling... Um, hearing the joy and celebration, but knowing that there's others who didn't survive. There's a lot that we're waiting for, a lot that, uh, there's, this, there's this other world, I think, that we're hoping for, a world that, where these atrocities don't happen. And when I think about the Israelites, they were waiting in those type of ways. They were waiting for God to come, for a Messiah to arrive, so that they could be free from Roman occupation. Uh, We've heard a lot about how the Romans and Jews interacted over many weeks. But again, they're taxed 70 to 90%. When they couldn't pay, they would take their land. When they didn't have land to give, they would go to prison. We think about the horrors of Herod just on on a snap of a finger and a few words, being able to kill all the kids in Bethlehem, two and under. And so they were living in horrific times. And then they clung to these prophecies, like in Psalms chapter 145, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. Or we think about, oh, you could skip two slides. The next um, passage in Jeremiah chapter 30, I will punish all who oppress you. They must be thinking of the Romans at this time. Their leader will come from one of their own, meaning that the Messiah will be a Jew coming out of the line of David. Their rule will arise from among them. Their ruler will arise from among them. They won't be under oppression. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. So not only will the Messiah have an intimate relationship with the Lord, but he will draw his people to the Lord. And so these are the promises echoing in the minds and hearts of especially Simon and Anna, who have spent their whole life awaiting for the Messiah. They're both uh, aged, they're older men and women, but They've spent their entire life hanging on to these promises during this very dark time in history. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 27, and then talk about what it looks like to wait. Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simon, Simeon, who was righteous and devout. 
He was waiting for the reconciliation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Then the parents brought a child, uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon um, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to, to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 40, uh, sorry, until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So I love that we're starting out with hope this Sunday in our first week of Advent because interlaced with hope is a, is a waiting for a future. So Advent is about waiting and hope is about waiting for a better future than the one we're in now for God's future. But there's different kinds of waiting. In the next slide, there's kind of waiting um, at the DNV, you know, just waiting, waiting in line for something. And during that time, we're usually gaming or we're on our podcasts and it's passive. We're often distracted. And that's not the kind of waiting that hope is talking about. Hope in Christ is speaking about waiting with anticipation. When I was looking for Liam, I was waiting and anticipating hearing his name, hoping that some, some person would come up and be like, do you know who this person's irresponsible parents are? And I'm like, thank you so much, right? There's a looking around, an opening our ears, a desire for the future that is active. And we see that in Simeon, waiting, hope is waiting in anticipation. In the next slide, we see him um, waiting for the reconciliation of Israel and the Holy Spirit revealing to him that he would not die until he has seen the Lord's Messiah. So that was like kind of this overarching purpose statement that you're going to be able to see the Messiah. The world hasn't seen him. Uh, Israel has, hasn't heard God's voice in 400 years, but he believed he was revealed that he would see the Lord's Messiah. And I wonder what are some of the purposes that God's given us for the future? What are some of the dreams that he's placed in our hearts? But as he gives us those dreams and purposes, are we passive about it? Are we distracted? Because not only did God reveal something to, to him, 
He also was attentive throughout years and maybe decades of his life, hoping to to, um, hold the Messiah. And so after this big overarching statement, we see a moment in that vision statement where he was moved by the Spirit, that he was attentive through the course of his life to hear and be moved by the Spirit and be obedient to go to the temple courts. In our hope, is there an anticipation? Is there an, uh, an acute awareness to what's God, what God is doing day to day so that we don't miss his hand and his voice? Because it's easy to hear from the Lord something that he's called us to do, but then to get distracted or sidetracked or bored and not feel the prompting of the Spirit. Secondly, we, th- we think about when we're just waiting, sometimes we're at a standstill with God or we even pull away from him. We make our relationship with God conditional on what our hope is. Maybe our hope is for another child or for a home or for a relationship or a promotion. And we can say, God, I'm going to wait right here till you give me what I want. And until you do, I'm going to pull away. I'm going to withhold or I'm going to be at a standstill. But instead, we see Anna draw near to the Lord in the waiting. And I wonder, as we wait, in the season of waiting, are we saying, God, in my waiting, I'm still going to pursue you. I might feel like I'm being blocked from pursuing what I want, but I can always pursue you. In verse 36, we see that Anna had been widowed for 60 years, give or take. She was probably married in her late teens or early 20s, and now she's 84 years old. So for 60 years, she had been widowed. And how is she described in these 60 years? That she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. She spent these 60 years clinging and drawing near to God. It wasn't that she didn't want to leave a physical location. It's that she didn't want to leave God himself. That there's a nearness to God that filled her heart and her soul in the absence of her husband. That's what I often tell people um, over my pastoring when I counsel people who have broken up, which has happened a lot over the last 10 years at Renew. I I say, hey, I know you're going to feel a void in your heart. You're going to want to text someone, this person, or call them and hope they pick up, but they're not a part of your life anymore. It's hard to break up. I went through a really uh, difficult breakup after four years of being with my ex uh, prior to Nina, obviously. And it's really hard to go from someone who's your best friend, who you have a close relationship with, and then they become a ghost. And so I I tell uh, my brothers and sisters, I say, give yourself some space before you go on to your next relationship. And all the things you got out of that other person, get from the Lord. Experience his attentiveness. Experience him giving you value. Experience his intimacy. And we have a woman who drew near to the Lord in those ways. God really became uh, like a husband to her. Someone that she could lean on and be close to. She never left the temple, meaning she never left God's side. I wonder in our hope and waiting, are we pulling back from God? Are we withholding? Are we holding him hostage to a dream that we have? Or are we using this time of waiting to draw near to him? 
I, I think about um, Liam and Levi when they were babies and now Lila. Lila just started walking. So she's very discontent in my arms. She's trying to discover the world and play with her brother's toys and play with knives in the kitchen, right? She wants to just get her hands on everything. And when I hold her, she's just trying to like wiggle herself off of me. But once in a while, I'll put her in her prison, I mean playpen, and I'll remove all the toys, right? Or I'll put her in bed and I'll remove all the blankets. And I just want her to see me. I just want her to be with me, trapped with me, and for me to be enough for her. Sometimes waiting and not having is that space and season in our life where God wants to make eye contact with us, with God, when God is removing all the distractions and asking, am I enough? And, and, and will you spend this time just with me? In the next slide, we see that when we just wait, kind of from the world's perspective, that waiting can deform our soul and make us bitter. Waiting can become a season where we use it as an excuse to walk away from God or become unlike him instead of being formed by him. Waiting can form us to be like Jesus when we wait well. In the next slide, we see um, how Simon is being described. Um, He's righteous and devout. And I believe that his righteousness and his devotion to the Lord came out of the waiting. It came out of him living for being able to see the Messiah. And we see the result of that in his life. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That this lifetime of waiting and beholding the Messiah has formed him into someone who's righteous and devout. You know, it's, it's really the desert and the wilderness that does the deepest formation in our life. When I think about who David is, I don't think it's the throne or the palace or his servants that did his soul the most good. It's actually on the throne and in the crown with the crown that maybe he deforms the most. He becomes less like God. He, we see some of his narcissism. We see his sexual addiction rear their ugly head. And it's hard, it's hard not to uh, be deformed by power, even though at the end he repented. And, and God, again, describes him as a man after his own heart. Where does David's formation happen the deepest? It's in the caves. It's in the running from Saul. It's in the pastures with the sheep, unnoticed. It's in those moments the between the anointing and the crown that God forms David in the waiting. It's in the deserts that he creates his kings and his queens, right? We think about Joseph. He, he gets this dream of his brothers, even his father and mother bowing to him. But it, he spends 13 years in prison. He serves in Potiphar's house. And I believe that it's in that, that waiting period that he learns humility and grace. He learns to entrust his life with the Lord. He demonstrates this when he becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh, second in command of Egypt. And we see that character pull all the way through. When he stands before his brothers, he has the power and authority to punish them. 
But in the end, he weeps in front of him. He becomes vulnerable in forgiveness. That doesn't come with power. That comes in brokenness. The last phrase he tells, one of the last phrases he tells his brothers is, what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. How has hope formed you? How has the waiting made you more like Jesus? Lastly, just waiting means that we're putting hope for circumstance to change, for something we want uh, to, to have it in our hands or something that we have not to be taken away. That hope and waiting in the world looks like a hope and waiting in circumstance. But Christian hope is hope in a person. In uh, verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. That was the hope that he was waiting for. The person of Jesus in his arms praising God. And this is the hope that he offers the rest of Israel. He says that Jesus, this child, is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. And this will be spoken against so that the hearts of many will be revealed. What, what Simeon is saying is that our hope is in a person. And that this person will, re- will reveal whether people wanted a person or they wanted circumstances. The people who rejected Jesus is because Jesus didn't bring the circumstances that they were hoping for. Right? He didn't overthrow the Roman government. He, he didn't change their, their physical and economic circumstances. That they didn't really want God. They wanted something that they can touch. They wanted something in their life to change. But when we really want Jesus, when, when, when we're really hoping for him, he never disappoints us. And so is our hope in the Lord. And, and hope reveals that about us. The waiting reveals that about us. Are we waiting for something or are waiting for someone? In the next slide, I think about whether it's the just waiting column or the hope in Christ column is progressive. In the, in the sense that when we're just waiting and we start doing it passively and with distraction, it causes us to pull away from God and the pulling away deforms us into bitterness. And at the end of the day, it's because our hope is in a circumstance. But if we wait with anticipation, if we wait with, with a desire to hear and see the Lord, to draw near to him, the waiting will form us to become like him. And we, when we wait on Jesus, when we ask, where are you, Lord? Would you come to me here? Would you show yourself? Those are ways that he never disappoints us. And so when we think about Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 22 to 23, it says, so you will be my people and I will be your God. That's what Jeremiah was waiting for the most. And then we see Jesus repeat those very words in Revelations. He says, um, and I hear, heard a, large, a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now amongst the people and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning 
or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jeremiah was waiting for Jesus to come the first time to bring people to himself. And we wait for the second coming of Jesus, that we get a shadow and a picture of him here, gathering um, the nations around the world to await him, to draw near to him. He gives us himself in his first entry as a baby. But aren't we also longing for this intimate touch of God, wiping our tears, healing our wounds, being able to see him face to face. It's different, this little phrase in Jeremiah, for you will be my people and I will be your God. But then Jesus says, they will be my people and God himself will be with him. He adds that little line. So as we long for Advent in Jesus' first coming, we long for him in his second coming as well that God himself will be with us. He'll be so close that we can feel his hand wiping our tears. We can feel his touch on our, on our shoulders. We can feel him comforting every wound and every longing. This morning we await you. We think about how badly this world needs you, God. And we hope in the new world, when the old order has passed away, that there be no more death or mourning, crying or pain. We long for that day, Lord, as we look out in the Middle East and Eastern Europe, in our backyards, in our life, and we hope in anticipation for your arrival, for this person to come, that when we have you and you have us, everything is made new. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through... um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have 
quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.